2: Friday morning, the 12th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Israel is to defend itself in The Hague today at a second hearing of the International Court of Justice. The charge against it is genocide. The Oxford Dictionary defines a genocide as the deliberate killing of a large number of people from a particular nation or ethnic group with the aim of destroying that nation or group. And yesterday, South Africa set out its case against Israel.
3: Gaza has become a place of death and despair. Families are sleeping in the open as temperatures plummet. Areas where civilians were told to relocate for their safety have come under relentless bombardment. (laughs) Medical facilities are under relentless attack. The few hospitals that are partially functional are overwhelmed with trauma cases, critically short of all supplies, and inundated by desperate people seeking safety. A public health disaster is unfolding. Infectious diseases are spreading in overcrowded shelters as sewers spill over. Some 180 women are giving birth daily amidst this chaos. People are facing the highest levels of food insecurity ever recorded. Famine is around the corner. For children in particular, the last 12 weeks have been traumatic. No food, No water, no school, nothing but the terrifying sounds of war day in and day out. Gaza has simply become uninhabitable. Its people are witnessing daily threats to their very existence while the world watches on.
2: That's Irish lawyer Blynn Nigralia, who is one of eight barristers representing South Africa uh, against Israel in The Hague. Let's speak to Sinn Féin's spokesperson on foreign affairs, Matt Carthy, who's on the line. Good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning, Matt. Uh, before we talk about the case of genocide uh, against Israel, uh, perhaps we can begin by talking about what happening this morning. Reports of US and UK airstrikes in Yemen. Uh, Some 60 targets, according uh, to the US Air Force's 16 Houthi locations. They say that they've used fighter jets and Tomahawk missiles bombarding air bases, airports and a military camp. Is this the beginning of an escalation uh, of this conflict uh, to a regional level, do you think?
4: Well, I think it's probably all too predictable, Michael, and good morning to you and hello to your listeners. The, uh, one of the rationales behind the demand for a ceasefire was, of course, um, aside from saving lives and stopping the slaughter in Gaza, was to prevent uh, an escalation to see the, uh, the conflict um, move beyond um, the, the the current um, situation and what we've seen in the Red Sea and in other places is uh, clearly the potential now for this conflict to um, be- become very entangled, um, and it is a worrying development. And what I would hope the events of the past few hours will do is refocus minds to the need to actually establish. Uh, a, a peace process that can lead to a lasting settlement that actually um, de-escalates the situation because the the consequences of this war could be quite profound. We know they're obviously profound for those tens of thousands of people who have lost their lives, for those millions of people whose lives have been devastated. Um, but the the wider global implications in terms of trade, economic impact... All of that, it could be felt in every corner of the globe.
2: Okay, I'm reading quotes attributed to to the deputy foreign minister uh, for the Houthis, saying our country was subjected to a massive, aggressive attack by American and British ships, submarines, and warplanes. America and Britain will have to prepare. to pay a heavy price and bear all the dire consequences of this blatant uh, aggression. Uh, That coming from the Houthis, uh, worrying uh, of course, but all the more worrying known that the Houthis are backed by Iran. And
4: there are a number of, uh, you know, Parcels within the Middle East, where you know there is there is the potential for things to escalate incredibly quickly, and we know that there are um, there are actors that will try and manipulate the situations that uh, arise. Um, but we also know that um, the the route to solving conflict is through actually direct intervention. Delete, we need ceasefires. We need to have a negotiated peace settlement. We need to have. Calm heads at this at this time. Um, clearly, it was quite evident, and you know this has been set out in stark terms that uh, for so long as the uh, so long as the bombardment of Gaza continues, then there is going to be uh, other acts that will be you know that will be be carried out in neighbouring states, um you know, ostensibly in support of the Palestinian people, but. Um, that will drag other actors into the, into the conflict, as we've seen over, overnight, and it just sets out in very real terms the need to actually bring an end to this situation, and that means that we need international leadership to be demanding that all actors ceasefire and actually enter into proper negotiations.
2: Okay, The bombardment of Gaza has continued over the course of uh, the last three months uh, and you believe that we're watching genocide unfold in front of our eyes and that the Irish government should be supporting the South African challenge uh, to the International Court of Justice.
4: Yeah, I have to say I'm incredibly disappointed that the Irish government have refused to join the South African case to the International Court of Justice under the genocide Convention. There is precedence. Ireland actually joined the case to the International um, Criminal Court, um, or the the International Court of Justice, against Russia in respect of the war in Ukraine. And if you look at at, at both conflicts, I think Ireland was right, by the way, to join the case against Russia. Russian aggression against Ukraine has resulted in the killing of over 10,000 civilians, over 560 children. That's from a pre-war Ukrainian population of 43 million people, and that took place over 20 months. But if you then compare what has happened in Gaza, Israeli aggression in Gaza has resulted in the killing of about 23,000 civilians, including well over 10,000 children at this stage, and that's from a population of just 2.2 million people in only three months. So if we are to have any credibility and consistency in saying we are taking a case against Russia, um but not against um, Israel, well, then I think that smacks off the double standards that I have to say have been all too evident since the war in Gaza began, because if governments, including Ireland can make a case against Russia now refuse to join a case against Israel well then the message that I fear that sends out internationally is that these are political decisions as opposed to legal decisions and that's not the way in which these international courts should be used in my view
2: Is there not a a lesson to learn from uh, the case against Russia in that Russia just ignored the court?
4: No because what happens when the court made the judgement that there should be a cessation of the hostilities that gave legitimacy to states then to implement sanctions and take measures against the Russian regime because they are therefore in breach of international um, court. And we know, and we'll have discussed this ourselves, Michael, on several occasions, we have put forward numerous proposals to the Irish government and there is pressure building on governments all over the world to actually take measures uh, um, against Israel to try and force it to stop the slaughter of people in Gaza. By taking a case, in, in the first instance, that's a meaningful action that the government in South Africa have taken because it has shone a further spotlight in terms of the actions of Israel in Gaza. But it also will then, if, as I hope, um, and who knows at the end of the day, but if the ICJ actually makes a determination and provisional order that the um, that the slaughter must stop, well then that will give um, impetus um, and um and momentum to the demands that actually what's required now is action that will bring Israel to that point, in the same way yeah. as actions have been taken against Russia. And, of course, Russia hasn't heeded um, the, the, the call and hasn't, um, you know, hasn't, I suppose, responded to the, the, the economic and trade and financial pressures that have been put on it as a result of those sanctions. But at the same time, a clear message has been sent to them, and they are paying a price, for their actions. The difficulty we've had in terms of Israeli breaches of international law and Israeli breaches of international law have been ongoing for decades and have been intensifying by the decade. And the reason they have been doing so is because Israel has been able to act with impunity. This has to be the time where the world says stop because otherwise I fear for what uh, the future will look like for the Palestinian people and and in turn what that will mean for global stability and for peace.
2: The irony of this case will not be lost on Israelis, I'm sure, because the ICJ, the International Court of Justice, is the authority to determine whether Israel is committing genocide or or not. Uh, And that is on foot of a 1948 convention, the Genocide Convention, which was ratified after the Holocaust.
4: Of course, and and nobody... um, looks back at what happened in the Holocaust with anything other than shame that the international community allowed that to happen at that time. But the international community is allowing a horrendous situation to unfold before our eyes. I have to say, I think um, in, in the uh, representing South Africa, um, did Ireland proud also yesterday in the way in which she articulated the fact that this is the first genocide in the history of the world that has been live-streamed by the victims of the the genocide. I think that was very strong language. And of course we know the history of um, the persecution of the Jews in Europe and elsewhere, and we all um, said never again, well it's happening again. And I think it's it's also notable that the case has actually been taken by the country that knows more about apartheid and oppression in the modern era than anybody else in terms of the South Africans and their struggle against apartheid and the fact that they are taking their case sends a very strong message and I would have argued to the Irish government that it would have been equally powerful if Ireland, a country that has come through our own conflict resolution and peace processes, were to join in that endeavor, I think that would have been a very important statement and i' I, I regret that so far the Irish government haven't haven't seized that opportunity.
2: Yeah, well, with good reason, the Irish government would argue at least in that uh, we've heard uh, government uh, spokespeople say that you uh, make claims like this and you isolate yourself. While uh, on the other hand, you have the opportunity that Ireland has, uh, which is the years of some of. Uh, the most important people in the world, European Union and the United States in particular?
4: Well, I, I actually haven't heard a good reason at all for not joining this case and as I say, if were good reasons not to join this course?
2: Well, you've heard that Leo Bradger say, Look, you know, we could declare it's genocide, uh, that it's acts, uh, that it's crimes, um, uh, 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 war crimes, uh, but th- but then you'll know, be a, a bit of a fuss for 10 minutes and forgotten about, and Ireland would be forgotten about. Whereas if we stay within the circle, that we can make the arguments against how Israel is behaving.
4: Well, I don't think. South Africa is in any way undermined. I don't think that their influence in the world is going to be undermined as a result of taking this case. And the truth is, somebody had to take this case. And unfortunately, South Africa was left relatively isolated, although many states actually have signed letters of support. Unfortunately, within the European Union, there are no states because no state showed leadership. And it was actually interesting, if you listen to um, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar say yesterday, he actually hopes that the ICJ... Calls for a provisional, uh, provisional cessation, mm. and, um, and makes a provisional or- order. Mm. So, therefore, what that is saying is that he hopes a court will make a judgment of a description, but isn't willing to actually show leadership and participate. Well, in
2: to the, call for a ceasefire, in, in, in a, 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 to so. call for a ceasefire in line with the Irish government. The Irish government has called for a ceasefire. In fairness,
4: yes. And what mm. we need to do is to graze. And by the way, the Doll was one of the first parliaments in the world to call for a ceasefire. And Sinn Féin are, are, mm. are, are very proud of the role that we played in bringing the Dáil and the government to that point. And, the very, and, and, the, and that call has now been echoed by the UN General Assembly mm. and by parliaments and governments all over the world. Okay. The fact May- is that Israel is ignoring those calls and is continuing to engage in a discriminate um, bombardment of a civilian population that has resulted in the destruction of civilian infrastructure, including hospitals, has led to mm. what is now a humanitarian and healthcare catastrophe that is worsening by the day. There, is, there has been the forced displacement of over 2 million people. And all of this, as I say, is happening in front of our eyes. Yeah. And what we now need to do is to ensure that, as well as having considerations for our own domestic, um, political and diplomatic position Mm. in the world. We also need to make a stand for what's right.
2: Okay, and I I think the expectation is that disease and starvation will kill more people than the bombs and the bullets already have. Uh, But if we can conclude on the prospect of a ceasefire, which, uh, if... It did come about, would bring about an end to these uh, atrocities. When might that happen? Because this case could run for years. uh, And if the court is to call for a ceasefire, what would that mean? Would Israel uh, be obliged uh, to heed that call uh, and to uh, abide by it? See,
4: the difficulty is that Israel doesn't heed international law and doesn't take account of what international institutions have said. Israel has been in breach of international law for decades and those breaches have been intensifying. What I would hope that an ICJ judgment and particularly a provisional order will do is actually in the first instance put pressure on those states that are currently providing cover for Israel's actions and to ensure that they understand that um, the global community demands that they um, retreat from that position and that they in turn then put pressure on Israel to stop its bombardment and its siege of the people of Gaza.
2: Okay, we'll leave there for now. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programme. That's uh, Sinn Féin's spokesperson on foreign affairs, Matt Carthy, who's a TD for Cavan Monaghan. Michael Michael Reed Reed on on LMFM. Landlords say that policy makers must meaningfully recognise the central role that property owners and uh, consequentially uh, that property owners have and consequently introduce targeted supports to keep landlords in the market and that without further incentives private landlords will continue to exit the market. That's despite what civil servants might think. Maurice Deverell spokesperson with uh, the Irish Property Owners Association. joined us And a very good morning to you, Morris. Thanks indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. This is despite the tax breaks that was given to landlords in the last budget and the revelation then that came by way of a Freedom of Information request from Pierce Doherty of Sinn Féin that highlighted how civil servants had opposed such a move. You've taken exception to that.
1: Firstly, Michael, thank you very much for having us on. I do appreciate it. There's a couple of things that we have to note here, and that is that is that there is an extreme lack of property within the market. I looked at uh, Daft this morning to see what was happening in Louth, and I see there's 32 properties to let, and there's five properties available for single lettings in Louth. So, throughout the country, there is an awful lack of property available. And the reason, one of the reasons for this is the tax reason. Now, we Understand that the minister, he gave us, um, which works out at 11 euros a week as a tax, um, an extra tax. And while that will help some landlords, because bear in mind that around about 50% of landlords earn less than 10,000 euros per year. So 600 euros is, is a sizable amount and may encourage them to stay in the, la- in the market. It's not enough that's going to really do much um, to keep other landlords in the market. When we spoke with the minister before the uh, budget, we were hoping that they would think of it maybe in a more long term setting, whereby they would bring reintroduce the capital gains that they had in the capital gains allowance that they had in in 2012, which was brought in for seven years. And if that was brought in again, that would encourage landlords to stay in for the seven years. And other taxes that would help, obviously, would be the capital acquisition tax, which is where property, like agricultural property, or any business, is devalued by 90%, so as it can be passed on to the children of the people who own the business. That doesn't happen if you own property and rent it out. Therefore, you can't... um, Sorry about that, the phone rang. Uh, Therefore, you can't uh, depreciate it by 90%. So that's one of the issues that happens um, with it.
2: Okay. Uh, the officials uh, made the point to the minister that there's already a significant amount of tax relief that you enjoy.
1: There, I, we, would, we would debate that compared to other people in the market who are renting out properties. So the other biggest landlords in the country, obviously, are the real estate investment trusts and at present, they do not pay corporation tax, capital gains tax, or income tax. We pay all of those. And that's why we feel that there is a 25% tax rate would be equal to the REITs. Um, and that's, we'd, otherwise, there's numerous other taxes that we can't allow, uh, that we are not allowed, like any other business. But it's not only that, Michael. The indefinite tenancies that they brought in two years ago which means now that a tenant has a right to stay in the place indefinitely unless for one or two small reasons um, that a landlord can get out of it it means that the tenant is there now there was no real logical reason to bringing that in from the point of view an average tenant stays four and a half years Previously, in 2004, when the rules were brought in, they made it that it was four years every tenancy renewed. Then in 2018, they changed it to six years, which was way above what the average tenant stays. And now it's indefinite that a tenant can stay. And that means that the um, getting a property back, or being able to do it up, or being able to do things like bring in the insulation and, and bring it up to a good standard where you would need a vacant property to do it, to, to do a full retrofit, is now impossible. Uh, and obviously, the other thing that's really changed is, is the RPs heads, mm. because we have now had rent controlled by the government, in one shape or another, from 2015. And that's now nine years of rent control. And that is really having a massive impact on it. Because everything else has gone up. Mm. But rents have gone up 2%. And we're looking... from a landlord's point of view, it's just not financially viable. We see interest rates have had ten rises in the last year. I know of one of our members and they're paying just over two and a half thousand in interest per month and now they're up at thirteen thousand in interest per month. It's just not financially viable where the risk versus the reward has, has swung far too far towards risk. And that is and that is one reason. Okay. That is the main reason. Okay, but,
2: but yeah. if you don't uh, give uh, tenants uh, that type of security, uh, well, then they're going to end up in a situation where they've been given a, a notice to quit and have nowhere to go. And that's the experience of many people as we speak.
1: Absolutely, you're correct there. But at the same time, if you don't give landlords any reason to stay in the market, they are, if they financially cannot stay in the market because the costs have got so high, um, they, the, the, the property is not going to be available to rent out. Now, I know other people, Michael, would suggest that the property is still there. So mm. the landlord... sells the the property or otherwise, the four-bedroom house uh, or three-bedroom house is still there but I know it from living on my road here where we have three-bedroom semi-detached houses and a lot of them are lived in by two people or one person where any rental properties in a three-bedroom house are normally lived in by five, six people. So, From that point of view, it's the number of bed spaces greatly reduces when the landlord leaves and when it goes back to
2: the private market. Okay, are you sure landlords are not just reaping what they've sown? Because uh, the civil servant said to, to the minister that Ireland's past experience with tax incentives in the property sector strongly suggests the need for a cautionary stance in this area.
1: Yes, I read that piece of it. But when you look back to the Section 23 and Section 27 reliefs back in 20 years, when you look at any tax reliefs, the SSIAs, tax relief for anything else that we've ever brought into the country, it does encourage investment. It does make people do things because of the tax relief. And tax reliefs, do work, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, And it, it would work the same way here. The Section 23 relief, it built a lot of holiday homes and other houses around the country years ago. And those properties are now available. At least they are available and they're built. So we need, what we need is we need more rental units. And to get that, we need more people to actually decide that they're going to put an investment into mm. it. Investing in property now, if you look at it the other way, apart from not borrowing it, but if you look at the deposit rates now that we're talking about that we can get here in Ireland of 4.0 percent from Raisin Bank and other yeah. banks, the... The, the sensible money would be to move nearly towards deposit because you don't have to deal with the RTB. You don't have to deal with all the new regulations that keep on coming down the lines. So you, you're still getting a reasonable return um, on your, on your well, investment. You're getting, a
2: very good, you're, you're getting a very good return, aren't you? Because somebody else is buying your property for you.
1: Well, they're not necessarily buying your property for you. They're, you're providing a service. You are renting out a product, the same way as you would rent out a car, and they, in in that car has hmm. to be bought or that property has to be bought. Except the price of property has gone way up.
2: Yeah, so is if, rent.
1: If it was if it was a great business, Michael, people wouldn't be leaving it.
2: Well, there's no evidence of that, according to the officials in uh, the Department of Public Expenditure.
1: i hope, but. But they're not exactly in the business. But I can tell you as a personal fact that the last property that I let out, I had 180. Phone, uh, communications on it. I had 80 phone calls and I had 30 people around to see it. I have n- I'm have. in this business a long time. Mm. I have never seen demand like it is for okay. it. When you've only got five places available in Loud, it shows you that there is not the availability that's needed.
2: But uh, are you saying then that as a result of that demand, because demand is so high uh, that whilst you're making a, a, a profit, a, a very... Uh, generous profit uh, on uh, renting out property uh, that what you need is to make more profit?
1: No it's not necessarily that It's tag- the, the, the profit on it has probably dropped down, the yields on it have dropped down if you look at an average yield on a property in Ireland it's around about 6% and of that, 2% will go on the maintenance fees, the management fees, the company, the, all the other expenses, insurance and everything else. You're left with 4%. Mm. Of the 4%, half it goes to the taxman, half it goes to the landlord. So you're getting a 2% return on your money compared to deposit interest. So it's, not, it's just to try and make the thing viable. If the business isn't viable,
2: and the assets.
1: it won't do anything. In the same way, Michael, if you think of it this way, if Ireland was short of food, we would do everything we could to help farmers keep up supply. Ireland is absolutely short of property available to rent, and we're doing terribly little to keep up supply.
2: OK. Morris, I'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us Thank on the programme today. Much Thank much. you. That's yeah. Maurice Dabral, who's a spokesperson for the Irish Property Owners Association. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. I think we were all very taken aback uh, to see an Irish lawyer in uh, The Hague yesterday making the case on behalf of uh, South Africa uh, against Israel. Uh, We're going to hear some more now from Bleen Negralia. And uh, I think listeners should be advised uh, that what you are about to hear could be upsetting for some listeners.
3: The court has heard of the horrific death toll. And of the more than 7,000 Palestinian men, women, and children reported missing, presumed dead, or dying slow, excruciating deaths trapped under the rubble. Reports of field executions and torture and ill-treatment are mounting, as are images of decomposing bodies of Palestinian men, women, and children left unburied where they were killed, some being picked upon by animals. It is becoming ever clearer that huge swathes of Gaza, entire towns, villages, refugee camps, are being wiped from the map. As you have heard, but it bears repeating, according to the World Food Programme, four out of five people in the world in famine or a catastrophic type of hunger are in Gaza right now. Indeed, experts warn that deaths from starvation and disease ...risks significantly outstripping deaths from bombings. The daily statistics stand as clear evidence of the urgency and of the irreparable prejudice. On the basis of the current figures, on average, 247 Palestinians are being killed and are at risk of being killed each day. Many of them literally blown to pieces... They include 48 mothers each day, two every hour, and over 117 children each day, leading UNICEF to call Israel's actions a war on children. On current rates which show no sign of abating, each day over three medics, two teachers, more than one United Nations employee, and more than one journalist will be killed, many while at work or in what appear to be targeted attacks on their family homes or where they are sheltering. The risk of famine will increase each day. Each day, an average of 629 people will be wounded, some multiple times over, as they move from place to place, desperately seeking sanctuary. Each day, over 10 Palestinian children will have one or both legs amputated, many without anaesthetic. Each day, on current rates, an average of 3,900 Palestinian homes will be damaged or destroyed. More mass graves will be dug. More cemeteries will be bulldozed and bombed, and corpses violently exhumed, denying even the dead any dignity or peace. Each day, ambulances, hospitals, and medics will continue to be attacked and killed. The first responders who have spent three months without international assistance trying to dig families out of the rubble with their bare hands will continue to be targeted. On current figures, one will be killed almost every second day, sometimes in attacks launched against those attending the scene to rescue the wounded. Each day, yet more desperate people will be forced to relocate from where they are sheltering or will be bombed in places where they have been told to evacuate to. Entire multi-generational families will be obliterated. And yet more Palestinian children will become WCNSF – Wounded Child, No Surviving Family, the terrible new acronym born out of Israel's genocidal assault on the Palestinian population in Gaza.
2: We'll hear more from uh, those proceedings in uh, the programme later, but you've been listening to an or- Irish lawyer, Blina. Nigralia, who has been representing South Africa against Israel in The Hague. Michael,
4: Michael Reed on LMFM.
2: Not sure why, but our phones are very quiet today, but if you would like to make comment on the programme, we'd love to hear from you as always, and let me tell you how you can do that. You can ring us on 0419832000. That's 0419832000. if you want to ring us and tell us what you want to say. You can also text or WhatsApp a comment to us. The number to do that on is 086 1800 658. That's 086 1800 658. Or you can email michael at lmfm.ie. And let me bring you some emails that have been coming to us. Pat, and Tully Allen has been in touch. And thanks for your email, Pat. He says, the government is offering an 8.5% pay rise costing over €2 billion to the public sector. But we, the taxpayer, cannot afford this if the economy drops, we are back to 2008. Top public servants on over a quarter of a million will receive over 20,000 of a pay rise. This is a slap in the face for people on minimum wage. I work for a corporate company in Drogheda and we turned down a two and a half percent. Uh, pay increase and we're going to the WRC next week looking for 3.5% for one year. The public sector are looking for 12.5%. What a joke this country is. We're still paying the so-called emergency USC tax and uh, pat goes on to say where uh, that uh, we are the 3 hu- where, where are the 385000 public servants too many quango jobs for the boys and girls thanks indeed uh, pat for your email as i say LMFM.ie is our email address thanks too to geraldine McAvoy and Dundalk, who's been emailing us uh, about immigration and she says dear michael i feel compelled to write to you after hearing some awful, un-Christian, xenophobic comments on your show about individuals seeking international protection in Ireland, particularly those uh, who have come here via other European countries. Where is Ireland's spirit of compassion, understanding and unity? Many individuals seeking international protection in Ireland arrive with stories of persecution, discrimination and personal danger. Their pursuit of safety is genuine, reflecting the age-old Irish tradition of Cade Melefolge, a hundred thousand welcomes extended to those in need. Ireland's commitment to providing refuge aligns with global principles safeguarding individuals fleeing persecution. As responsible global citizens, our adherence to international conventions ensures that those seeking asylum receive fair consideration and protection. Experience has shown that individuals seeking international protection, regardless of their arrival route, become in integral members of our communities. Their resilience, diverse skills and contributions significantly enrich the cultural fabric of our society, reflecting our long-standing tradition of embracing diversity. Ireland's robust screening processes meticulously assess the legitimacy of asylum claims. Authorities work diligently to ensure that those genuinely in need of protection find solace and the opportunity to rebuild their lives within our welcoming communities, those who don't get deported. The notion that Ireland is full oversimplifies the complexities of immigration and refugees. Our nation's historical capacity to extend the Cape Meal of Fultures showcases our ability to integrate and thrive, fostering a society that values compassion, understanding and unity. Additionally it's crucial to address the the, the divisive influence of disinformation perpetrated by elements of the far right misinformation aimed at instilling fear can undermine community cohesion. By recognising and challenging disinformation we can safeguard our communities and uphold the values that make Ireland strong. Michael, by embracing our traditions of hospitality, understanding the complexities of the refugee experience and countering divisive narratives, we can build a society that stands united in compassion. Thank you for considering these perspectives uh, and uh, for taking the time to read my letter about this nuanced matter. Warm regards, as I say. That's from Geraldine McAvoy, writing to us in Dundalk. A, a text uh, that comes through. So It's kind of a, a long text uh, from uh, Holly uh, in Balbriggan. She says, Michael, four headlines from today's papers. Addiction counsellor at Dublin prison charged with drug dealing. After cocaine and cash seizure, that's one. Another headline: prison officer charged with drink driving following crash outside of a Dublin jail. That's two. A- another headline: ex teacher jailed jailed for sexually abusing a 13-year-old male student. That's three. A fourth headline. Ex-bank manager jailed for stealing 2.7 million euro after creating fictitious loan accounts for customers. What has happened to this country? Uh, Holly wants to know. Can we trust anyone anymore, she says. Um, Well, it's a very valid point you make. Thanks, too, to Noel, who's been in touch uh, on WhatsApp, and he says the Irish government will only do what America and Britain does when it comes uh, to... This case of genocide against Israel in Palestine. Thank you indeed, Noel, for that. Our phone number is 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658, and email michael at lmfm.ie. Indeed, Noel, we'll stay with that talk.
0: Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK.
2: for the moment, and we'll go back to The Hague.:
6: Palestinians in Gaza are subjected to relentless bombing wherever they go. They are killed in their homes, in places where they seek shelter, in hospitals, in schools, in mosques, in churches, and as they try to find food and water for their families. They have been killed if they failed to evacuate, in the places to which they have fled, and even while they attempted to flee along Israeli-declared safe routes. The level of killing is so extensive that those whose bodies are found are buried in mass graves, often unidentified. In the first three weeks alone, Following 7 October, Israel deployed 6,000 bombs per week. At least 200 times, it has deployed 2,000 pound bombs in southern areas of Palestine designated as safe. These bombs have also decimated the north, including refugee camps. 2,000 pound bombs are some of the biggest and most destructive bombs available. They are dropped by lethal fighter jets that are used to strike targets on the ground by one of the world's most resourced armies. Israel has killed an unparalleled and unprecedented number of civilians with the full knowledge of how many civilian lives each bomb will take. More than 1,800 families, Palestinian families in Gaza have lost multiple family members, and hundreds of multi-generational multi-gener- families have been wiped out with no remaining survivors. Mothers, fathers, children, siblings, grandparents, aunts, cousins, often all killed together. This killing is nothing short of destruction of Palestinian life. It is inflicted deliberately. No one is spared, not even newborn babies. The scale of Palestinian child killings in Gaza is such that UN chiefs have described it as a graveyard for children. The devastation, we submit, is intended is intended to and has laid waste to Gaza beyond any acceptable, legal, let alone humane, justification.
2: Another one of uh, the South African lawyers, eight lawyers in total, making this case against Israel. That time we were listening to Adila Hassim. Israel, as you know, is uh, to respond uh, today and uh, I'm sure uh, we'll be hearing a lot more from The Hague throughout the course of the day indeed. Uh, we hope to return to this topic later in the programme. And if you'd like to make comment, let me remind you our phone number is zero four one nine eight three two thousand. if you want to ring us tell Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Over the course of uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been asking a number of questions of Louth County Council. If you're a regular listener to the programme, you'll know uh, that we've asked some very serious questions, in fact, of Louth County Council. uh, But we haven't had any response to our questions. Uh, We've been asking them on air and we've been asking them off air. We put the questions in writing. We've had no response. Um, uh, which is very surprising. Uh, I I mean, especially when you consider what the questions are. Uh, We've asked why Loud County Council breached or appears to have breached the Local Government Act uh, when the Chief Executive unilaterally took it upon herself to uh, remove a motion that should have been on the council agenda in, in April. But Joan Martin disallowed that without consulting with the councillors or the coherlick on behalf of the council. It's a reserve function of the councillors uh, to act in that way and Joan Martin, uh, under the legislation, wouldn't have the authority to do it but she did it without consultation and we've asked why. Uh, A second question that we've asked is why Joan Martin disregarded the legal advice that was given to her about this. Uh, and uh, we've uh, read that legal advice and uh, we've uh, sent that uh, to the council, the legal advice that they got, uh, which clearly says uh, that uh, they should have consulted with the Cahirlik at a minimum on behalf of the councillors because removing a, a function from the council agenda is a reserve function of the councillors. Uh, a third question we've asked is why... Did Loud County Council breach the Freedom of Information Act or how did it breach the Freedom of Information Act? In a situation that saw a response to a request from this programme for information about that motion, by the way, uh, resulted in... Two responses, uh, two documents, uh, then that was appealed, that was five documents, and then uh, it was appealed to the Office of uh, the Information Commissioner, a statutory body, which conducted a four-month investigation and directed the Council to carry out a proper search, unquote. Uh, and when it did, it, described, uh, it, it discovered 892 emails. There's a fourth question that we'd asked of, of uh, the Council, and that is, why is it continuing to breach the Act? Despite discovering 892 emails, the Information Commissioner highlighted to the Council our concern about it not disclosing what's on their phones. And we know that they have stuff on their phones, text messages and WhatsApps and all that sort of stuff. uh, But that still hasn't been disclosed. Now, as I said at the outset, uh, we've asked the Council to respond to that. They've just stonewalled us. Uh, and that's probably as much uh, as we can do in terms uh, 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 of us as a journalistic programme trying to hold people in authority to account. Uh, we know, uh, because we spoke to Ken Fox of Right to Know, uh, an expert on the Freedom of Information Act, that uh, the Act has been breached. Uh, and uh, we know uh, that Ken has uh, raised some serious questions about how Louth County Council. Has acted in relation to all of this. Um, but again, because the council isn't responding to us, uh, we're kind of uh, at the end of the road. But it's not the end of the road because the executive of Louth County Council, as is the case with any local authority, is accountable to the elected members, the councillors. So this story. And the questions relating to this story now is in the hands of the councillors. Last Friday, the chief whips of each of the political parties who are represented on uh, Louth County Council met to discuss what they're going to do next. Uh, Yesterday, the Sinn Féin members met separately to discuss an agreed position. Let's hear a little bit more. Kevin Meenan is Sinn Féin councillor and the Sinn Féin Whip on West County Council and on the line. very good morning to Kevin and thank you indeed for joining us on the program today. No uh, problem, Michael. What, what what can you tell us on behalf of Sinn Féin?
5: Yeah, uh, well, say so we 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 attended the whips meeting last Friday. The two two items on the agenda: one was in regards to housekeeping around whips meetings in general, and second one was about the uh, first of all. Second one was about the. Uh, the, the possible, possibility of a special meeting. Uh, I, I had articulated the position, I can't speak for the rest of the councillors who were there at the time, I, I spoke in terms of we were 10 days out from a scheduled monthly meeting, so I thought it would be better to wait to the scheduled monthly meeting rather than go for one meeting within say 7 days rather than 10, and that was my argument I put to, to the councillors at, at the time, and I think there was a, a general agreement that that would be better. <clears throat> As I say, because when you have a scheduled meeting, you have more chance of most of the councillors being there, uh, better attendance. Rather than to have one on, say, a Friday evening three days before the council meeting, where you may not have all members there. Uh, so that 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 was it. It was a fairly short enough meeting, and uh, we left at that. And I I knew I was. We were having our own fein pre-council meeting, which we have normally before council meeting. We were having that last night, which we did. We spent a fair chunk of time. Discussing this at the very start of of what our position would be, we we have questions like yourself, me that we're we're extremely not happy with, uh, and that we would like to see answered on the day. I'm not sure if we will get them answers. I can't say I can't say with any confidence that we will. And then we will have to go back and and we will meet again shortly after our meeting on Monday to to adopt our position then, based on what the executive tell us or don't tell us uh, and, and we will seek uh, advice as well from our own party higher up in terms of where, where this can go this is on un- your unknown territory in a sense for us uh, I've been here I've been in council over 20 years I've never dealt with anything like this so uh, and, and again suppose freedom of information wasn't something that we really talked about 20 years ago it wasn't a thing that it is now with with the, all the amounts of different communication okay. uh, tools that you have at the moment can you tell but, us but it is a fairly th- it is a it is a very very Issue. Can, you us, serious
2: issue. can you tell us? Can you tell us which questions Sinn Fein want answered?
5: Well, a number of the ones that you outlined there, in terms of the legal advice. First of all, the motion. I, I don't agree with motions being pulled. First of all, I don't agree personally. I, I don't think our party agrees with that. Uh, I think that we are all, all adults. If a motion is presented to us, that we should be able to look at it. And in some cases, motions come to councils and don't get seconders because people just don't fancy the motion. They don't like it. and They, they won't adopt it. But I think we, we as adults are entitled to see that. And, and particularly the Cahirlock is entitled to see that and make that call. And I would have had every confidence in our in Cahirlock at that time in question, Connor Keelan to make that call. Joe, but that okay. wasn't afforded
2: to us. Uh, secondly, uh, in terms can, of the legal advice. Okay, can, yeah. can, can, can I just uh, yeah. ask you about that point? We'll come back to yeah. the, to, to, to your second question. If the yeah. CEO fails to provide you with sight of that legal advice and or fails to provide you with a proper explanation, uh, what will you do then? As
5: I say, we will go back. We I, I we will have to meet to discuss what we'll do and we will seek uh, advice from, from higher up or in our party of what we can do here. You know. Okay, but you and accept we'll that the CEO you, you agree this,
2: you, you agree that the CEO is accountable to you, the members. Oh it is, yeah,
5: yeah. She 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 is one hundred percent accountable that, to, uh, to, uh, to the members. And other that's words, you that's in, where you in make other your words, informed decisions And
2: in, in other words, when you say which you are telling us you will say that you want sight of the legal advice and you want an explanation uh, that you expect that will happen. Otherwise there are steps that you will have to consider taking.
5: Yeah, yeah, and we will examine all steps that are, that are open to us and, and we will look at them, 100%. Okay.
2: okay, you said there's a second question you have.
5: Second question then in regards to the to, uh, sorry, we covered the motion the second one is regards to the, just jog my memory here <laughs> uh, okay. you, what was your second one, sorry uh, the second one in regards to uh, the, the legal advice as well coming, coming back to us and uh, as I say, I can't. I can't just get a few Yeah, no, the, the I'm sorry. I, I, I did.
2: I did throw you there. You were saying that yeah. that you had further questions about the legal advice, uh, and uh, you have seen a, a copy of uh, that yeah. email that was sent late at night. Yeah,
5: yeah. Mm. Sorry, sorry. Mm-hmm. The first one yeah. was, was yeah. in regards to the, the, the withdrawal of the motion. Second one in regards to legal advice. And this is something that has, this came up, came up on on numerous occasions, and and we spoke as councillors ourselves last night. Probably something that we all should have chased up because at various times in in the tenure. Of the council, we have had occasions where we sought legal advice and it wasn't presented. And and within our own party, we have put our hands up saying we probably should have forced that further mm. and requested that, but we didn't. And you don't, because sometimes yeah. other issues take over. And that's something that, that we need to nail down going forward at any time. And, and, re- and, and, and will you requested. be asking
2: why? Because you've seen that email from the solicitor uh, saying that um, the Coherlick uh, should be consulted. Uh, 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 will you be asking why that advice was disregarded?
5: Yeah, yeah, I would be asking that, and be, I, I, I'd be—I'd love to know why why that was the case. Uh, I, I, and these are steps; these are things that we all have to now put in place, proper practices in place, and and and, and, and ourselves as councillors have to hold our hands up to say we need to hold the executive more to account than probably that we have been done over, over my over my terms as as a councillor. So, and, and this is this is probably all coming to a head now. I would say.
2: Mm. Uh, and then there's the freedom of information act uh, i'm sure you have questions yeah. about that
5: yeah we would have questions like that that's probably the more public one i think in terms of of uh the general public would probably be more alarmed at that and that has ramifications all across the board uh, in terms of uh in terms of how, how that was done in terms of how and i and, uh, and also the the authorities and how they how they have have uh, ordered them to go back in and and do a, a thorough search and how this comes. and again this is something new to us i, I didn't mm-hmm. understand how the freedom of information act worked <clears throat> so a, a lot of this and we discussed this last night in terms of uh, of, of going forward what what would you expect? And, and we were actually explaining to ourselves in terms of <clears throat> whenever you put in a, a set 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 of words, do you know I mean it will generate so many? Mm. But you can probably sell in one set of words, will only get you so much information. Whereas if you widen that out, you will get more. So it's it's what you it's what you feed into will determine what you get back at.
2: Now. The chief exec- Sorry to cut across you, Kevin. The yeah, The, the yeah. Chief Executive of Louth County Council told a, a recent meeting of Louth County Council that when a Freedom of Information request is made to Louth County Council, that it's brought to the weekly meeting of senior management. Uh, we were speaking with Ken Fox of Right to Know during the week, and he raised a red flag over that particular practice. He He, he said that these requests should be dealt with independently if uh, the law uh, is uh, to be followed in the spirit of uh, the legislation as it it was drawn up. That it, it should be transparent, independent and that the executive and the chief executive should be nowhere near those requests and that perhaps that should change within Louds County Council Uh, and it it would seem that there are are a number of questions about how Louds County Council deals with freedom of information requests because it's not just this LMFM uh, question Uh, there's so many questions about planning, housing rights of ways, different things that people would be asking about
5: yeah, and, and and I had spoke to you previously this in terms of of we would often deal with people who would uh, come in and say that for example they're, they're off the housing list, and housing, and there would be a file there, and we would be asked in terms of where where when did they write to when did they write to them, and they would have been informed that they were written to about three times, and and, and all of this, and, and and I like to have confidence in in the freedom of information. Uh, Procedure that we can go back to people, to But this, all, all of this is in the public domain, and I would say to the general public, this is probably the one of the more alarming ones because it's it's it, it just it's so uh, it's shocking in this content. And I'm not here to put the boot into the council later, and I'm mm. not here to, to do it because we really, as councillors, have to be very careful. We have to see what what comes out principally out of Monday's meeting and go back but as yeah. I say there are serious questions that have been raised There's but it, open, it cuts to the heart no of, doubt
2: about that it cuts to the heart of democracy though doesn't it uh, I mean uh, the local authority uh, is established to serve the people uh, of this region in the case of Louth County Council and if the Lowes if the local authority Louth County Council is not fulfilling its duties to the letter of uh, the law then you have a, a real problem, don't you? I mean, if people are entitled to information and they're not given that information for whatever that reason or whatever the motivation is, there is a real problem, isn't there?
5: There is, yes. And and, and, and that's that's the one that goes back to the heart of the public. The, the first two, from the general public's point of view, are, there are internal dealings between councillors and council officials. The second one is from an external body that has requested information from the council. And, and that has not been forthcoming for whatever reason and that's that's the alarming one because when we're dealing with the public public have have they need to have confidence in us that we have confidence in the officials and and, and it's, it, it, it it goes it filters down like that and there's been a huge breakdown in confidence i would say Uh, across the board here between ourselves and executive also, with councillors and executive and also with with the outside bodies and and it it doesn't look good and it's something that needs to be resolved fairly quickly.
2: And and will you be asking uh, the executive uh, to discover the uh, WhatsApp and text messages uh, that they have uh, or uh, if uh, their intention is to continue to be out to, to act outside of the law?
5: They're, my our our intention when we spoke last night is that they fully comply with all Communications in terms of what's requested of them. Joe, it, 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 and, and and as I say, I am not sure where it filters down the personal tax messages. I'm not sure how that works. I, I won't I won't know. I don't know. Uh, as I say, it's a fairly new thing to us ourselves, mm. and, and we are constantly still seeking advice okay. from from our counsellors across the country as yep. well, who and, who may have had deals with this. Yeah. And you've but we had, need all you, you've had sight
2: deal. you've had sight of the judgment from the Information Commissioner, yeah. which yeah. makes reference to the phones. On a number of occasions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, there is an issue there uh, that needs to be addressed, I, I would have thought. Uh, I said at the outset, we've kind of come to the end of the road because they've stone, stonewalled LMFM. Uh, yeah. do, do, do you think that Louth County Council should respond to media questions? i think uh,
5: we we i have urged this in the past like we we had we had an instant last year a walkout where where we weren't getting information on the day and it was quite public publicly publicized at the time that we walked out and i i had called for that walkout at the time and led that walkout, and that was over principally not talking to councillors or a willingness to stop talking to the councillors during a meeting which i i've which which communication is the key to everything do you know I mean you have to be open and frank you can you have to be in terms of dealing dealing with uh with, with your staff and all mm. that. that. That has to be the cornerstone. So I would expect that we get answers. I'm not saying that we will.
2: I'm not saying... Is it possible? I, uh, I mean, will there be enough time uh, uh, at the monthly? Oh, I think so. Well,
5: well I, 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 In terms of how I see it happening on Monday,
2: I would, I would suspect there'd
5: be suspension of standing orders, not from ourselves, but we would support it. There's two other councillors ahead of us in terms of the promoter of the motion, and secondly, the Cahirlock at the time, who may request that... Uh, that suspension of standard orders, uh, I, I would, I, and then we will we will all follow in. We have we have our own questions that We that we're still working on as well. Joe, you know, I I am going to tic tack with other councillors from other parties prior to prior to the meeting on the basis of the meeting that we had last night, and we will see how we go then on Monday.
2: Okay, I imagine the executive will be preparing their responses in that case before Monday's meeting. Uh, anything? Yeah. To, yeah
5: was, anything sorry, to, add that to that, out, Kevin? Out, uh, yeah. No, I I would say that there I would say they already have their their adopted position, and uh, as I say, I can't say that we will go in there Monday, ask questions, and get get blanked. And if that if the, if that is the case, though know, or as a prepared statement, there we then have to take that back and and also uh, meet as a party independently, and also then meet as, as a group of whips to discuss what the response is collectively to that.
2: Okay, it'll be an interesting meeting on Monday. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Kevin Meehan is a councillor on Louth County Council and the Sinn Féin party whip.
4: Michael Michael Reed Reed on on
3: LMFM. Now,
2: if, like me, you thought it was spine chilling to listen uh, to the South African prosecutors make. Their case against Israel, which they say is guilty of genocide in Gaza. Well, perhaps uh, it could be summarised in one line that comes to us from Oxfam. It says daily death rate in Gaza is higher ...than any other major 21st century conflict. Let's speak to Edward Saloom, who is the Humanitarian Advocacy Lead with Oxfam Ireland. Good morning to you, Edward, uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. We've been hearing for some time that nowhere is safe in Gaza, that Gaza has become a graveyard for children... Uh, but you really do put it into perspective in, in highlighting how this is the deadliest rate of conflict of uh, the 21st century.
7: Uh, hi, Michael, and thanks for having me. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, the rate is really unprecedented in 21st century, and we've already seen horrible catastrophes like the Syrian crisis, the crisis in Yemen and currently Sudan, but this has far surpassed it so far um, in a catastrophic way, really.
2: Surpassed what has happened, the terrible atrocities uh, and killings that has happened in Syria or in Sudan, Iraq, Ukraine, Afghanistan and Yemen?
7: Um, Correct. If we talk about the uh, the daily rate of killings in such a short period of time, it has surpassed uh, those, I mean, not combined, of course, but those individually. Um, which were catastrophes on, on their own.
2: And that's uh, from the bullets and the, the bombs, of course. But now we're hearing uh, that disease and starvation may actually end up killing more people than the bullets and the bombs have thus far.
7: Um, this is unfortunately true, too. Uh, last month, actually, there there was... Um, a report that was issued by um, a number of UN agencies with uh, INGOs and others. Um, It's a regular report called the um, IPC, the Integrated um, Phase Classification System, and it looks at food security levels in certain populations. And um, in the case of Gaza, the report came out to say that uh, uh, around um, 577,000 people are on level five in this classification system. Now, level five in this classification system means that uh, people are actually starving and the rest of the population is between levels four and three, which means either a food emergency or a food crisis. Um, And uh, usually people, Michael, move from levels three and four in such uh, uh, acute crisis very quickly. So we might see even more people. Uh, moving into classification 5 very quickly within the next uh, yeah. few weeks
2: i heard the world health organization uh, describe how people are are living off stale bread every other day
7: um, I and mean, this is only i mean just a very uh, a marginal part of the the, the catastrophe actually and um, uh, the same classification system uh, if if you look globally um, uh, it has classified 125, uh, 29000 uh, people in Level 5, um, uh, which is starvation. Now, add to that 577,000 people in Gaza. That makes the people in Gaza uh, 80% of the people who are starving around the world uh, today that's 80% of the people who are at level five means starving, uh, uh, which is just unprecedented.
2: It's horrible. It's, uh, I don't know, words fail me. Uh, But this comes back to the word uh, that Oxfam and other overseas aid agencies do, uh, but are prevented from doing in Gaza, which is to get that very much needed aid into the region. Uh, It's next to impossible in some circumstances.
7: Uh, this is correct there are very very heavy restrictions on the entry of aid um uh to Gaza actually most of the um, uh, uh most of the passageways have been blocked that's within uh um within the the borders of uh, Gaza to Israel and the only uh, um passageway that is uh still open is the one uh, through Rafah through Egypt which um um through which comes in less than 10% of the food needed to, to cover the basic needs in Gaza. Um, uh, not mentioning um, any other supplies like much needed wash supplies we call them, water uh, and sanitation and hygiene supplies um, um, medicines etc. Um, almost nothing is coming in, very few dwindle uh, a, a trickle of, of aid really coming into Gaza.
2: Okay and that uh, is before you get to the challenges that the weather is about to pose for people who are in this unreal situation. Um, there's particular concern about the cold and the rain, but particularly about the rain, I think is there
7: Yes of course and um, I mean most of the most of the arrangement for any sort of shelter, Uh, uh, that is going on in Gaza are impromptu kind of uh, arrangements. So people are trying to shelter under pretty much anything. They can get their hands on blankets, tents, and those are very few already. And the crowdedness is another factor to it. So in Rafah now, which is the, 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 the southernmost point in Gaza, uh, in which most of the people uh, of Gaza have been displaced to. Now, one million people crammed into a space that is no, large, no larger than probably Kilalui. Um, um, that they have been crammed there, and um, at, at, at every other street there there are, and every other space there are uh, hundreds of tents on top of each other. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, of course, I mean, uh, all sorts of um, um, risks uh, Of diseases uh, and uh, risks of all sorts of social breakdown come out of this uh, arrangement.
2: Uh, I'm not going to ask you about uh, the case of genocide, Edward, uh, unless uh, you wish to comment about it yourself, Uh, but can I ask you about uh, the International Court of Justice, Uh, because I I think that there's great hope from aid agencies such as Oxfam that it will call for a ceasefire.
7: I mean, we are hoping really with the rest of the aid sector and a lot of the Western world, really, at least the population, we're we're hoping that this could result in, uh, these proceedings could result in uh, um, at least uh, um, um, an order for a ceasefire. But there is no guarantee that anyone would commit to that. And I think the precedents are not very optimistic. Um, I mean, it's hard to say that, but the, 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 the genocide debate, belongs in, in in the first world so to speak and it has so far gone nowhere enough to help palestinians under fire uh this is not to say that this it couldn't be an avenue to kind of limiting the violence and we're hope, all hoping for that mm. but it so far seems like a like a long shot unfortunately
2: mm. e- even to get anesthetic in uh, if nothing else, I, I mean, one of the most upsetting things uh, I've heard uh, over the last twenty-four hours is how many children are having limbs removed without an anaesthetic.
7: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the situation in Gaza is beyond catastrophic, and, and it's hard to, I mean, wh- wherever you look in the statistics and the news, it's just catastrophic all the way. Um, And, yeah, the the conversation about genocide now, although, I mean, we're we're all hoping could get somewhere, uh, might not be the avenue uh, um, right now, right here, to uh, stop this onslaught of violence on children uh, and and women and civilians in, in Gaza. Yeah,
2: and we watch it every day. It's unfolding in front of our eyes. The worst conflict in terms of uh, the number of daily fatalities ever, or at least in the 21st century, according to the data that you've looked at, Uh, Oxfam is trying to help. And undoubtedly, people uh, will uh, be very happy to help Oxfam to do the work that you can do. And you are getting some assistance into the region.
7: Yeah, uh, we're doing what we can. We're now collaborating with, um, uh, we're now supporting uh, partners uh, on the ground in, in Gaza. And of course, we have our own staff, Oxfam staff in Gaza, uh, 29 are left now. And they have, of course, all been displaced, all have uh, um, experienced uh, loss of one sort or the other, of their families, of their homes. Uh, but they're doing what they can uh, to work themselves, to help people and also to support Uh, Palestinian partners who are working on the ground um, uh, in terms of uh, some food parcels, some hygiene kits and uh, uh, some some wash assistance as well, um, uh, sanitation and hygiene.
2: Okay. Uh, It's beyond words, Uh, I think. uh, Most of us feel very helpless, uh, which is uh, the only thing that I can say with any degree of certainty uh, uh, and I think that there's probably a consensus uh, in Portion of uh, the world with uh, that, Edward. Uh, Thank you though for joining us on the program this morning. Edward Saloum, humanitarian advocacy lead with Oxfam Ireland. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Some victims of uh, transsexual abuse in touch with us uh, this morning. Uh, A number of uh, comments, one from Tony Gribben of uh, the Drumore Group. Uh, that's a group that represents survivors of clerical sex abuse from the Diocese of Dromore. Uh Tony has been in touch with us regularly since the Brother Garvey issue. And uh, in this text, Tony says uh, that uh, Louth County Council is disrespecting the Local Government Act. Failure of uh, the council CEO to provide answers to the press and public for apparent short-circuiting of local elected councillors. Emotions for discussion poses serious questions for a accountability and local democracy, that this issue only transpired only following concerns raised by clerical sexual abuse survivors over the Drogheda city. Honour to brother Edmund Garvey also raises questions as to how prevalent the behaviour of the executive on wider issues uh, is. And Louth County councillors must consider a motion of no Confidence in the CEO, Tony says. Strong words, Tony. Thank you. Ken Grace, who has had an incredible battle with the Christian Brothers uh, because of uh, not how he was abused, because his abuser uh, has gone to prison, uh, but in gaining. Uh, justice and accessing justice uh, the brothers blocked Ken uh, using uh, this legal strategy uh, where he had to go around the world and find people in different I oh, uh, won't go over that whole strategy again but Ken has uh, texted us uh, and he says how can the council say they're not used to the Freedom of Information Act when the regulations are there since 1997 updated in 2014 in fact he says updated in 2000, 2002, 2009 2015, 2017 etc and he says in It's widely known and it is law. Thank you very much indeed, Ken, for that. Damien O'Farrell, who represents uh, the men uh, who campaigned to rescind the freedom of a from Brother Garvey has been in touch as well to say thank you to Councillor Kevin Meen for coming on to LMFM this morning to publicly address the issue hopefully the Cahirlock Councillor Paula Butterly of Laos County Council will be in a position to address this matter on LMFM next week we certainly have asked the Kaherlock Damien as you know and uh, the Cahirlock has said that she will speak to us when she has considered the matter fully because she's not completely off-face with uh, the issues Uh, Damien goes on to say just to remind your listeners last May a lawful motion supporting sexual abuse victims was removed from the agenda of the council by the CEO Joan Martin it was not allowed to be discussed and the victims feel their right to access of access, I beg your pardon, to a local authority meeting's agenda via an elected member was denied to them. They feel they were disregarded and silenced again just as they were abused as children. The CEO said she disallowed the motion following legal advice. The written legal advice needs to be revealed to the council. Our Taoiseach apologised to these men specifically in 2019 and said they would not be let down again. It's very obvious the victims have been let down again by a state body and they hope councillors will ensure the executive is accountable. They will also be raising this matter directly with on Taoiseach Leo Vratker. Well, thank you indeed, uh, Damien uh, for that message uh, and indeed maybe we can hear what the Taoiseach had to say in 2019.
3: I joined Minister McHugh in calling on patron bodies to make any available information they have and documents available too and the same of course applies to the Department of Education. I want to recognise the campaigning and advocacy role with Louise O'Keefe on her own behalf and on behalf of others. Even today many victims of sexual abuse do not report it but the fact that people like Louise do gives them hope and courage and some comfort. Without meaningful action, apologies on their own don't count for very much. And the best apology that we can make to Louise O'Keefe and to all other survivors is to say that further action will now be taken. The state failed them at the time, it failed them again a second time when it did not own up to its responsibility. and We won't fail them a third time.
2: All right, that's uh, Shock. Uh, Leo Radker is saying, they won't be failed a third time. Uh, the survivors say they've been failed. It's over to the councillors who will meet on Monday morning. That's our programme for today and this week. Thanks to Maggie McGuire who researched. Chris Murray was in the control chair. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. <laughs>
1: The Michael Recho Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at
0: lmfm.ie. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands.